This is Fresh Air. I'm Dave Davies, in for Terry Gross, who's off this week. Our guest today is veteran actor F. Murray Abraham, best known recently for his role in the second season of the hit HBO series The White Lotus, a performance that earned him a Golden Globe nomination. Abraham won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1985 for his role in the film Amadeus, where he played an 18th century court composer in Vienna who resents the success of a young Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Among his many roles in TV, film, and theater, Abraham is known for playing a recurring character in the Showtime series Homeland and a prominent role in the Wes Anderson film The Grand Budapest Hotel. Now in his 80s, F. Murray Abraham is still busy. Besides his critically acclaimed role in The White Lotus, he recently played a writer for a team producing a hit video game in the Apple TV Plus comedy series Mythic Quest, and he earned an Emmy nomination doing the voice of an ancient Egyptian god in the Disney Plus series Moon Knight, drawn from Marvel Comics. F. Murray Abraham, welcome to Fresh Air. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to, to hear those, those things about myself. It really is. You know, I love a compliment, and I take all of that you, you said as a compliment. Well, and the, the idea that Marvel Comics is using my voice, I have to tell you, that was a great big thrill. I get, uh, believe it or not, I, I get um, fan mail from China wow. for that thing. Uh, let's, let's start by talking about white, the White Lotus. Um, and I thought we'd just play a scene here. This takes place at a fabulous hotel on the coast of Sicily where uh, a number of American guests are staying. And one of them is a party of three men from a family, a grandfather, that's you, a father played by Michael Imperioli, and your grandson, um, Albie, who is played by Adam DeMarco. And uh, you're all there uh, in Sicily to trace your ancestral Sicilian roots. And this is a scene where you're at lunch or dinner after you've just arrived, and we hear you speaking mostly with your son, uh, Michael Imperioli, who's in his 50s. Uh, You speak first, um, and you're flirting with the waitress. You just flew all the way in from Los Angeles. (laughs) Just to be here in Sicily, because we are Sicilian. You, Cecilia? Yes, from Catania. Ah, you married? Dad, why don't you let her put our order in so I can get a drink? My son is a big muckety-muck in Hollywood, so he's very impatient. I'll bring you your drinks. Thanks. Sorry. Thank you. Dad, you got to knock it off. Oh, what's the problem? What are you doing? I mean, what's the point? Flirting is one of the pleasures of life. Do you actually think you have a chance with any of these women? Oh, don't be rude. I'm just saying, you're 80 years old. Oh, I'm still a man. And I get older and older, but the women I desire remain young. Natural, right? You can relate to that. And that's our guest, F. Murray Abraham in The White Lotus. Yeah, that last line is a reference to his son's sex addiction, uh, which he has not left at home. He's he's hired a sex worker uh, for his visit to Italy. Um, You want to describe this character, Bert, Bert DeGrasso? I will try to describe him, but it's hard because he is so much like so many people in my life. Uh, I'm first-generation American. Uh, My father's from Syria, and my mother's from Italy. I grew up with people like Bird, and uh, their attitude toward women is uh, was very real. And my mother, uh, an Italian woman, uh, treated them like they were the king, and and the the sons were the princes. Uh, so that uh, 
his offhand references to women, um, in an in an odd way, I, I'm still puzzled by it. Uh, so many women like my character, even though he's really he's he's nothing but a but a male chauvinist pig is all he as we used to call them in the old days. I personally am a feminist, but uh, the way he treats women uh, as people to be pursued and and won and enjoyed and it's a pleasure but i think the women who respond to this character understand that he really has a good heart that he really is a a, a, a decent man just from another time that's all and they accept him and i'm hoping what that indicates is an understanding between generations and a possible communication between generations, which is very difficult these days. There's not much in the way of discussion between, well, political parties, between sexes. And I I hope that's an indication that the so-called pendulum is swinging the other way back toward rationale. Yeah, well, there's plenty of discussion in The White Lotus among generations about those very issues. Um, you know, Mike White, who wrote and, and you know, ran the series, do you know why he picked you for this role? Did he talk about it? All I can say is I thank my lucky stars for it because uh, that was the best job I think I've ever had in my life. Wow. And I've been acting for a long time. It was just heaven. When that show closed after four months in Sicily, I, I asked him if we could shoot the whole thing all over again. It was really great. It wasn't just the script or his direction. He's, he's a delight to work for. But it was everybody I was working with. And I'm talking about the crew, the cast. I'm carrying on about this because it's a very rare experience. Yeah, and you were all together at this beautiful place Living, working together, kind of a summer camp with that with people that you were happy to share time with. <laughs> a very expensive summer camp. Yes. But but the the place was closed up. Uh, we were the only uh, residents, and everyone lived in the hotel. Uh, crew, cast, we were all together. So sometimes we were able to show up uh, for makeup in our pajamas. It was uh, it was it was idyllic. Um, what that contributed, I think. And to the to the making of the film is a, a real joy and a life that comes through the camera, even though there are some real dark things that are dealt with. I think what you get a, a sense of is family. Yeah. You know, if you were there with this cast in this beautiful setting for this four-month shoot, and I read that you and Michael Imperioli would, would just do some re- rehearsals on the side of your own. Did, did, did you improvise stuff? Yes, we improvised. Uh, it was encouraged by Mike to improvise, but the lines themselves were, were so good it didn't take too much, really. But uh, uh, we both are serious actors, and uh, when I suggested that we rehearse, he said absolutely, and we added uh, Adam DeMarco. We invited him. Your your grandson in it, right? Yeah, our grandson. Yes, Adam. Yes, he's one, and he said, "Sure, he'd be glad to." That's that's not very common, by the way, either. And we rehearsed the scenes ourselves and independently, and um, uh, it paid off. And aside from that, the three of us became quite close because of that. And I think that comes through. Well, you know, one of the th- things that struck me is that while your character is you know, imbued with some pretty outdated ideas about men and women, there's a lightness to him. I mean, a lot of the characters that you're known for are really intense. This guy has a light touch, and that it, it, I wonder if that's what Mike White wanted from you. Well, 
It's an interesting thing that you pointed out because, in fact, um, he must have seen what I thought was an essential charming quality about uh, Salieri in Amadeus, which is he had a wonderful sense of humor. It was wicked, but it was it was funny. And people don't think of Salieri as funny, at least the older Salieri. The younger one was far too serious. But I think he saw that. And there's a sense of of life and lightness in, in so much of my work. And he must have caught that. Um, the stuff you're talking about is, uh, you know, the Homeland thing. Now, that's interesting. Uh, Homeland is this Showtime espionage thriller, which stars Claire Danes as a CIA agent who has bipolar disorder. And your character was Dar Adal, who's a black ops specialist in the CIA. Um, that character is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I always thought of him uh, as not only bisexual. I thought he was up for anything. And I mentioned to uh, the wardrobe people that I thought he wore women's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and what, <laughs> and what the costume the wardrobe people did was was to sew lace on my panties. <laughs> no, seriously, really, really. Uh, there are certain things I am wearing those lace underwear. I'm not going to tell you which scenes they are, but I can, I can, I can give you a hint. They're the most uh, violent scenes. So, so that that added to your performance to have that bit of lace. Oh yeah, those those little secrets that actors actors have. They don't, it, it's okay to talk about it now because I'm not doing it anymore. If I was still doing it, I would never have told you this. But those secrets uh, add something to each character that I do that are no one's business, and it uh, I think it it adds to the mystery of the character, no matter what I do. You have an interesting background. I mean, you mentioned that your father was Syrian, uh, an immigrant. Um, your mom was Italian. You were born in Pittsburgh but grew up in El Paso, Texas. Tell, tell, us, tell us a bit about you know, your childhood. What, what kind of kid were you? I grew up about four blocks from the Rio Grande. And uh, I grew up with all Mexican friends. And uh, I speak Spanish fluently. And uh, Juarez, Mexico in those days was not... Dangerous, not like it is now. And it, we had really free passage back and forth. It cost a penny to get across the bridge, but they never really collected. If you didn't have the penny, you didn't pay. Well, we would walk across the, the, the Rio. No problem at all. It's too bad that there is a wall down there in El Paso. Because growing up with two cultures is such a, a benefit. And uh, I grew up with that benefit. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Juarez. A lot of my playmates had homes in, in Juarez. And uh, we um, we would eat each, in each other's homes. And as I say, I grew up speaking Spanish. Um, the uh, accent that I have in Scarface, for example, that's pretty much what I sounded like when I was growing up. Not a Texas accent, uh, uh, <laughs> a Spanish no, it's accent. It's a, yeah. a Mex-Tex, but, but what's, yeah. As a teenager, I understand eh, you got into some trouble or could have, could have. Yeah. The problem with living on the border was that, uh, and it's still probably true, that the Mexicans were treated as as a second-class citizens, and consequently, a lot of poverty promoted gangs. And it was the beginnings of the Crips and the Bloods, I think, along that border and along uh, the border in uh, San Diego as well. But we had gangs like, uh, they were called the Lords and 
I was in a, a small gang, too, but we were never as violent as they are now. I mean, we didn't have the firepower, for one thing. Nobody was ever killed in any fights we were in. Uh, but I, I did get into trouble. We stole cars, and we did a lot of damage, but we we never cut anybody up. Uh, but uh, finally, I was going nowhere, and uh, I was ready to just get out of high school as soon as I could and leave. You stole car. I mean, you know, back then cars were different. It's funny. I actually I grew up in South Texas. I mean, which is a long way from El Paso. But I and I, I learned when I was a kid how you could start a starter mower by taking a screwdriver and connecting the two terminals <laughs> on the starter engine. I mean, it was not that hard. Did you boost a lot of cars? And what did you do with them when you got them? Well, we just we we would boost the cars and we would uh, just drive around. That's all. Have a good time and maybe even damage them. By the way trashed them. But uh, in those days, people left keys in cars. Uh, that was very common. And it was so common, and they were being stolen so often, that there was a law that was passed that if, if your car was stolen because you left the keys in, you were responsible for it. Uh, but uh, we, as I said, we didn't have any accidents, fortunately. But we did do rotten things to other people's property. And I spent a little time in jail a couple of times. But uh, briefly, and, you know, my parents would get me out. I, I was going nowhere is what it what amounts to. You were skipping school, I assume, doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, uh, it was not very smart. But uh, anyway, I didn't want to become a mechanic like my father was, as good as a mechanic as he was. I just wanted to get out and get on my own. And, and so you got into acting through a teacher, right? Yeah, what I wanted to do was to graduate from high school as soon as possible, and I took an easy course, I thought, called Speech and Drama. And sure enough, Lucia P. Hutchins, my teacher, said, uh, you you should try this. And she introduced me to Shakespeare. And uh, I did a play, and I won a contest in the state of Texas. I won a scholarship to go to college at uh, Texas Western in El Paso. The scholarship was 100 bucks. Can you believe that? <laughs> and anyway, I, I got through with that first year in, in uh, college and then thumbed my way to L.A. Uh, yeah, uh, on the Road was a very important book to us in those days. Jack Kerouac. And thumb, yeah, yeah. Jack Kerouac. And thumbing in those days, as you remember, coming from South Texas. I was did a lot of that do. myself, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I went to L.A. and uh, that's where I met my wife. when We stayed together for – oh, well, that's another story. So, so you you went to L.A. and uh, well, you know there's there's was a lot of movie production in L.A. opportunities there. Why did you decide you needed to go to New York? I'll tell you, the uh, movie business was really tough on me. I had a real problem meeting people. The first time that I went on an interview, I just was I was a disaster. And I got so scared of the next one that I didn't go out again. I would do plays and readings, and I did some classwork, but I was too scared to audition. It's an awful thing to admit, but it's true. And when I finally decided, okay, I'm going to do this play, I'm going to get this play, and I got it. Bradbury's Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. I did Ray Bradbury's play in L.A., and it was a success. We ran for about eight or nine months, and I decided that I didn't like the way actors thought of themselves in L.A. I thought I was better than that. I mean, not better than them, but my ideas were of, of classical theater. 
and I decided that I wasn't getting the kind of instruction I wanted, and I wanted to find a great teacher. So my wife and I pulled up stakes and went to New York, and I auditioned for Uta Hagen, and she, she took me, and she was my only teacher. Wow. Well, now, 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 let's just pause there for a second. Uta Hagen, I mean, she was legendary for her, her method of instru- instructing actors. What was the experience like for you? Uh, <laughs> well, it's great to be liked by someone like Uta Hagen, and I was a favorite. And I became a monitor in her class. And after about a year, I fell under the spell of a great teacher. And every student should keep this in mind. The more charismatic your teacher is, the more you will give up your own talent in order to please that teacher. And that's the route I was taking. And at one point, after having studied with her for over a year, I was really lost. And at one point during an exercise, she stopped me. And she said, this actor has a great talent and he pisses all over it. And that was the last class I ever had with her. She realized that I was losing it and she wanted to force me out of the class. And I did. And as soon as I left her, I started finding my feet again. It's an interesting lesson for everyone to learn. Wow. So so you were kind of ignoring your natural instincts and trying some technique that you thought she wanted or – that's that's exactly the right description. I was shutting off my own instincts in order to do exactly what she was saying. Uh, that that's a dangerous path to follow. Well, we're we're glad that you uh, you got back to your instincts. It's been it's been great for a lot of audiences. You, you know, you you did like you know so many aspiring actors in New York. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, you did commercials. I've, I've read that you, there was a famous Fruit of the Loom commercial. You were one of the bunches of grapes or something. And Oh, yeah. Well, I, no, I was a leaf, man. <laughs> Anybody can be a grape, baby. I was a leaf. We, we do actually have a Listerine commercial that you showed. Oh, that was, a, that, was, that was a prize winner, believe it or not. Really? Huh. Yeah, well, you know, they give out their prizes yeah, yeah, to yeah, each yeah. other. Everybody, everybody <laughs> awards excellence. Um, well, look, it's it's short. Why don't we Why don't we listen to this? This is you know we see you a young F. Murray Abraham, and you're in a you're on a wharf, a jacket, kind of a longshoreman, I would guess, sort of a working class guy, and uh, you know you're talking about this great product. So, and you're being coached. Let's let's listen. Andy, what do you think of the taste of Listerine antiseptic? Terrific, really terrific taste. You don't want me to tell them what I really think, do you? You use it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, twice a day. It kills the um, germs and give you bad breath, and it lasts for hours. Hey, that wasn't so good. Let me do it over. That was fine, Andy. Oh, I get it. Don't call us. We'll call you. Listen, mister, let me tell you what I really think. I use it, but it tastes crummy. Listerine's got the taste people hate twice a day. All right, early performance by F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> um, did you do a lot of commercials? I did a lot of commercials, yes. I'm, I'm delighted to say. It's one of the places where I learned how to act in front of a camera. Where, I mean, this, New York was the center for, for commercial making in those days. And there were, there were lots of commercials being done all over, all over the city. Um, let's take another break here, and then we'll talk some more. We are speaking with F. Murray Abraham. He earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the hit HBO series The White Lotus. We'll continue our conversation after this short break. I'm Dave Davies, and this is Fresh Air. 
Hi, this is Molly C.V. Nesper, producer at Fresh Air. And this is Seth Kelly, also a producer at Fresh Air. If you like the Fresh Air podcast, we think there's a pretty good chance that you'll also like the Fresh Air newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter written by us, the people who help make the show. You'll get all the week's interviews and reviews in one place. Plus, staff recommendations, interviews from the archive, bonus audio, and what's coming up on the show. Imagine an email you enjoy getting. To subscribe, go to whyy.org slash freshair. We're speaking with actor F. Murray Abraham, who recently earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the hit HBO series The White Lotus. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in the film Amadeus and is remembered for his roles in the Showtime series Homeland and the Wes Anderson film The Grand Budapest Hotel. He recently appeared in the Apple TV Plus series Mythic Quest and the Disney Plus series Moon Knight. We did a lot of acting in New York. We were kind of back in the 70s and 80s. And then in 1984, you were cast in the lead role for the film Amadeus. This was... This was one of these things that everybody knew was going to be a big deal because the play by Peter Schaffer had been such a huge success on Broadway. And I read that the director of the film, Milos Forman, spent a long time and talked to a lot of actors. Um, do you, you want to just tell us what your experience was like that and how you got the part? Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. You know, that uh, play by Peter was uh, – Worldwide success. It was translated into over 30 languages. So everybody in the world wanted that part. Everyone who played Salieri in all the countries where it was done always won the top honors, which indicates that maybe it had to do with the writing as much as anything else. But uh, consequently, everyone wanted that part. And some very famous actors showed up in makeup with their own costume people. That's how much they wanted it. So the idea that this unknown actor was going to get the role was out of the question. The only reason that I ever auditioned for him was to meet him. And uh, I, I knew I didn't have a chance, you know. I mean, it, was a, it was a British writer, and it was written for a British actor. The point is, Milos did see something in me, invited me to his apartment to do a little rehearsal. We then did a videotape of it. And uh, at the end of the videotape, he said, all right, now, do the old man. And I said, well, Milos, give me a chance to look at it. I didn't even examine. He said, no, no, just do it. So I did it, and I improvised, and I looked at the script. And when I got through, I looked up to see what his reaction was, and he was gone. <laughs> he wasn't even there. He just he left the studio before I even had a chance to say anything to him. So I figured, you know, he hated it, you know. And uh, two days later, he called and said I was his first choice. But that was only one step. Then I had to meet the producer and then meet the writer. I still didn't knew I didn't have it. I, I just, it was too much to ask, uh, really. It was, a, it was a dream. And then besides that, I was in, in a conversation with Brian De Palma at the same time about Scarface. And he wanted me to do Scarface. And I kept saying, well, Brian, can you wait on this? Because <laughs> I got this other thing happening. He says, what other thing? And I said, it's Amadeus. He says, oh, well, then I'll wait. I'll wait for a while, as long as I can. So we waited and waited and waited. And the point is that I did take Scarface. And I went to L.A. to uh, rehearse it with the whole company. And we were rehearsing Scarface. And that's when I got the call that they, they wanted me to do Amadeus. Now, I heard that Al, Al Pacino, who, of course, starred in Scarface and who you were working with or going to be working with, was also 
competing for the part of Salieri and Amadeus. True? Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, Al wanted it like everybody else wanted it. And when he found out that I was going to do it, he came over to me and said, uh, uh, don't try to carry the whole film on your shoulders. Just do your work. I thought that was very generous of him. And um, uh, it was funny to be able to fly back and forth from Hollywood to Prague doing Scarface and then doing Salieri and then doing <laughs> – it was it was very, very romantic. Amadeus is filmed in Prague and then in L.A. Scarface is happening and you're doing both at the same time. Um, well, let's, let's, I want to play a, a clip from Amadeus. Now, you play Antonio Salieri who was the court composer for the – in the court of um, – Franz Joseph, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor there. Um, you want to just dis- just briefly describe Salieri's relationship with Mozart in in this story? In, in this story, Salieri is envious of his talent and angry with God for having given all of this talent to this dirty mouth, potty mouth boy instead of to me, to Salieri, who has devoted his whole life to the church and to to his music. And he thus decides that he wants to kill off uh, Mozart slowly uh, and uh, take credit for his work and, and keep his work from being uh, appreciated in the public. Well, that's a perfect setup for the, for the scene we're about to hear. I mean, it's kind of in two parts. In, in, in the second half, we're going to hear U.S. Salieri speaking with the uh, emperor, um, who is played by Jeffrey Jones, uh, and you're bad-mouthing Mozart so that the emperor doesn't grant him the lucrative job that he wanted teaching a, a young woman in the royal family. But first, we hear you speaking directly to God about your anger. Let's listen. From now on, we are enemies. You and I. Because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy. And give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust. Unfair. Unkind. I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm you are a creature on earth as far as I am able. Majesty, I don't like to talk against a fellow musician. Costa. I have to tell you. Mozart is not entirely to be trusted alone with young ladies. Really? As a matter of fact, one of my own pupils, a very young singer, Maria Teresa Paradis, told me she was... Well, well, what? Molested, Majesty. Twice in the course of the same lesson. It's our guest, <laughs> F. Murray Abraham, as Salieri in the film Amadeus. Again, why? What a voice! <laughs> um, um, let, let me let me interrupt you. The, yeah, the, the, you you hear a uh, in that first cut. You hear a crackling yes. in the background. That's the fire at the end of that scene. I threw a crucifix into the into the flames, and and my mother, who was a very grew up a very strict Catholic, was horrified. She said, "You didn't have to do that." I said, Damn, "It's it's a movie." No, no, no. She said, "You shouldn't have done that." She was really hurt by it. 
When I did Scarface, I told her, Mom, don't go see that movie. Don't don't see that movie. It's sturdy. She did see it. And she said, you tell, she's a very proud Italian, you tell Al he doesn't have to use that language. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there was another great actor here, a great performance in Amadeus, and that was Tom Hulse, who played the young Mozart, who people will remember. It was, he had this, this crazy laugh, and he was this... You know, kind of vain, vulgar, philandering, drinking character. Um, you two were antagonists in the story, of course. I'm wondering, while you were shooting, did you feel that or did you feel a rivalry at all? I decided to live away from everyone else, as Salieri would have done. I lived in an old, old hotel. They were in the modern hotel. And I thought it was best to keep a distance from everyone. And uh, that's how uh, we did it for six, seven months uh, I didn't have much to do with him or anyone else, actually, at all. It was it was not easy. Uh, it was hard because I am really a, I, I like to have a good time, but uh, it was the right thing to do. I, I, in fact, became very close to a lot of Czechs. That was that was fun. Huh. Well, you know, it's interesting because you know you were talking about shooting the White Lotus and how Mike White created this kind of the cast and crew kind of created a family. Which, which really, you know, kind of inspired this wonderful, supportive collaboration. This, that's not what you thought, what you needed here? Well, it was exactly the opposite with this. I wasn't part of that family at all. And I think it paid off. Uh, but uh, I thought Tom was terrific. Well, he got a nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the other fascinating thing is that you're both nominated for Best Actor. And we should mention, by the way, that the film won Best Picture that year. You know, you also play piano in this and you direct – you you know, conduct an orchestra for operas. Is that something that you knew something about before or did you have to learn <laughs> no, that? No, no, nothing at all. But I, I, I learned. But um, Miros insisted that we play all the notes. You, we, we weren't making the sound. They were fake pianos, but we were. He insisted that we hit all the right keys, and when Tom played that piano behind his back, he was hitting the keys. I mean, it's a. Uh, it, it was. It was legitimate. I learned to play several pieces. I don't know anything about playing a piano, but I learned to play. The, and there were several that we didn't even use in the film. That really made me crazy because I worked so hard on it. It was so hard. Poor me. <laughs> All right, let's take a little break here, then we'll talk some more. We are speaking with F. Murray Abraham. He earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the hit HBO series, The White Lotus. We'll talk more after a break. This is Fresh Air. This is Fresh Air, and we're speaking with veteran actor F. Murray Abraham. He recently earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the HBO series, The White Lotus. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in the film Amadeus. Um, at the same time, while that you're filming this Oscar-winning performance, you're then flying occasionally back to L.A. to continue working on Scarface. <laughs> so I thought we would get a sense of that character. Um, you know, this is about a you know it's about you know a drug operation, and you play an underboss in a Miami drug operation, uh, a kind of a guy who works for a drug lord named Frank Lopez. And in the scene what we're going to hear, you're um, there. You're I think in Bolivia negotiating a drug deal with uh, your character's name, Omar Suarez. And 
along with you on this trip is the Al Pacino character, Tony, who is this young, brash, aspiring gangster. And he's kind of trying to assert himself in these talks. And in this scene, we hear you kind of putting him in his place. Let's listen. I'm doing the talking here, not you. You need to watch my back. Watch my back. Better than your fun, let me tell you. That's easier to watch. Close your mouth. I can't wait to see what Frank's going to react to this one. Just shut up. I'm doing the talking here. So where were we? Talama. You're looking for a partner, right? It's something like that. Look, Mr. Sosa, <clears throat> we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I am down on Frank's authority to buy 200 keys. That's it. That's my limit. I got no right. Nobody got no right to negotiate Omar, for Frank why don't Lopez. You let a man finish, okay? Let him propose a proposition, hey. and then we can talk more. Well, Tarek, you got no authority here, okay? I started doing this business. Frank is going to love it, right? Don't worry about it. Well, that's up to Go Frank, on. not you! And that is our guest, tough guy, F. Murray Abraham in <laughs> Scarface. You know, it's, it's, you know you're, you're, so you're going like you're in Prague doing, you know, Salieri, who is this devoutly religious m- musician. And then you're going back and playing this gangster who I guess does not live to see the end of the film, I think. I mean, it's a pretty awful end, doesn't he? Um, um, what was it like to kind of go back and forth between such different characters? It's it was a vacation one from the other because if they were at all close, uh, then it would have been difficult. But because they were so different, it was really a treat. Uh, on the airplane ride between cities, I would study the next character, and you get to Hollywood, and then you start playing this gangster with this other accent with some very good actors, and that was true both ways. I, I did it four times, and and it was uh, like a relief. In fact, it's hard to believe, but it's true. And uh, it also was glamorous in, in a way that uh, old-fashioned way of movie making that I don't know if it exists any longer. And uh, I, I felt like I was in my own finally. You know, you, you described yourself as a relatively unknown actor before you got the role in Amadeus. Yeah. And then you win the Best Actor Oscar for the film that wins Best Picture. It had to change your life. Uh, yeah, I did. It, it sure did. Suddenly I was being offered $100,000 a day. I mean, can you can you believe that? I don't I – don't, before that I wasn't making $100,000 in three years. <laughs> yeah. So well. So you know, it's it's interesting because suddenly getting this kind of torrent of opportunities must have presented a challenge. I mean, I read that Shirley MacLaine, who presented the Oscar, it's fun. You can you can see your acceptance online, and it's fun to watch. She whispered something to you, right? About don't just take the money, do something you love. Yeah, she said, don't take the first thing they offer you. She was she's a nice lady, by the way, sweet lady. So 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 how did you approach what you what you did after that? Well, I became arrogant. I became too demanding. I became full of myself. I became uh, someone I finally I really didn't like. I, I didn't know I didn't like me at the time, but I afterwards realized I was really uh, doing the wrong thing. I decided that whatever the next job was, it had to be at least equal to uh, Amadeus to that performance. They told me it was a wonderful performance and uh, and it was deserving of uh, great accolades. When I won the Academy Award, I believed it meant something. 
and I didn't want to do just anything that came along. And the films that were being offered were just terrible. I mean, there was a lot of money, but they were just all heavy gangsters and uh, baby killers, and I, I wasn't interested. So I did a play for, you know, 90 bucks a week with Geraldine Page. I did um, The Mad Woman of Chaillot, which was, you know, a, a great experience. She and I became very close. But the point is, it was the work that was more important. But you can't do that for a long time without Hollywood forgetting you. You've got to keep yourself in, in the public eye. And I didn't know that. It is a business, yeah. 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 But I took it for, I took it for granted I, I was going to be famous forever, you know. So, so do you think looking back on it, you, you should have handled it differently? Yeah, I should have been a little more calculating. But I, it just didn't seem right at the time. I really wanted to be known as an artist. And finally, after a while, the, the, the money wasn't coming in, so I started doing the things that were necessary to make some money. And uh, I've done a lot of junk out there, I've got to tell you. Nothing to be ashamed of, but stuff that, um, well, I, I paid the rent, so it's okay. Right, right, right. Not, not, not every day is magical. Um, <laughs> you know, I know that you did a lot of theater. Were there ever any years where the phone just didn't ring at all, where you didn't have work? Oh, after a while, it stopped ringing, and I, you know, I, I can't describe what it feels like because I kept insisting on doing only certain things and refusing. The point is, it did stop ringing, and my old agent from William Morris, when he retired, Morris couldn't find an agent to represent me out of all the thousands of agents they have. So I was, like, faced with the possibility of having to start looking for an agent, start all over again. Can you imagine walking in, what it feels like, walking into an office to meet someone who's half my age or less and have him say, uh, tell me about yourself. You know, well, I, I, I'll tell you about myself. I'm ready to pop you right in the mouth. You know, you, you, you don't get a job that way, you know. <laughs> Anyway, I ran into someone who said, I can help you. I'll be your manager, and he's a good friend of mine. And ever since he connected me with my current uh, agent, I've never stopped working. It does take an agent. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Let me reintroduce you. We're going to take a little break here. We are speaking with F. Murray Abraham. He earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the hit HBO series The White Lotus. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. This is Fresh Air. Um, you were in the original production of Angels in America. You played Roy Cohn, is that right? That's right. T tell us just a bit about inhabiting that role, what that was like. There are very few modern roles as great as Roy Cohn. It's one of the best performances I've ever given. I was so happy with it. But it took a long time to get to it because I disliked Roy Cohn so much personally. And the way I discovered him was through a lawyer who told me that he had fought a case against Roy. And as much as he detested him, he couldn't take his eyes off of him. And that was the opening I needed to, to do the character. Because you can't play a character that you hate. You can't play it if you don't have some respect for him. And that was an opening into Roy Cohn. I'm glad you asked me that question. That's, uh, I could never play Hitler, for example, but I could play Roy Cohn. Huh. So, so knowing that he was such an arresting per person to be in the room with, that somehow clicked it 
clicked for you? Abs- absolutely. What it did would give him a quality that I could identify with, because otherwise I just couldn't. I couldn't at all with him. But that made sense. He had a real talent, aside from his terrific intellect. Um, you know, you're in your 80s now, and you've got this stuff going um, where you work with a lot of really young people. I mean, you know, Mythic Quest was this TV series that you were on about a group making a hit video game. Uh, you know, I will say that, you know, over the years, I mean, I, as I've aged as a journalist, I spent most of my, my years covering state and local politics. And over time, I gradually realized that I was increasingly the oldest guy in the room. And, <laughs> and one of the things that I loved about staying active and keeping working was that I was around young people who treated me as a peer as opposed to some random old guy that they would just ignore and I'm just wondering, you've been doing these projects. Um, is it fun and exhilarating to be around young people and what they're doing? No, you encapsulated it. You, you described it perfectly. It's a privilege. And it's great to be accepted, by the way, to be uh, recognized as something possibly valuable. It's, uh, it's, uh, it keeps you, I'm not going to say it keeps you young, but it's, it keeps you on your toes. Uh, yeah, because they, you know, they, don't, they don't mess around. And they'll let you know how they feel. And it's also, by the way, it's so exciting to see some of that talent. Some of them are just so damn good. It's great to see. I don't quite understand how they keep it up, considering they don't do as much theater as I think an actor should be doing. So it's a different technique. And it's, it's a different thing that I am now privileged to be a part of. I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. It's thrilling. And I'm 83, and I just, I don't feel like there's any end for me. I think I want, I'm going to drop dead on the stage. That's what I, that's my fondest hope. Yeah, yeah go hard <laughs> till the end. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that last year um, you lost your wife, Kate. Uh, you had been married to her for 62 years. Is this right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's yes, a 62-year yes. show business marriage is almost as much of an accomplishment as uh, an Oscar, maybe more. Um, yeah. I, I come, I'm, my wife and I are going to celebrate 40 years this year. I, I, I can mm-hmm. only imagine. Thank you. Well, I, I can only imagine what it's like to yeah. have your life so drastically change and to lose a partner yeah. like that. How? Yeah, I'm still trying to adjust to it. There is a play that I was going to do for theater for a new audience called The Chairs, and I had been planning to do it for some time. It's a great two-hander by Ionesco, and I had to tell my producer friend, Jeffrey, uh, who produced uh, The Merchant of Venice for me, by the way, I had to tell him that I couldn't do the play. I had to cancel. Because at the end of the play, uh, the the, two, the husband and wife suicide. And I, I didn't think that I could possibly face that play, killing myself at the end of each performance. So I, I canceled out of it. It's, it's affected my life, absolutely. And I've decided the only thing I can do now is to do comedy, just to keep myself off the ground. You know, I, I, the other thing I, I, it's occurred to me is that, you know, I've, as I've gotten older, I mean, I can, can continue to do, I think, decent quality work, but my memory isn't what it used to be, which <laughs> for an actor is kind of a big deal. Do you, do you have the, any? No, no, it's, it, no, no, it's more than a big deal. It's, it's, it's every actor's nightmare is, is not being able to retain his lines. But do you do a physical workout? I do. I think it's absolutely impa- it's necessary. But I also do mental exercises. I, I memorize sonnets. 
I, I, I want to do, uh, memorize all of Shakespeare's sonnets. I have half of them now. But the point is that you have to exercise that memory muscle as well. If you're really serious about being worried about your memory, then you should do those exercises. Memorize some poetry. So, so you get up and, and you recite a sonnet? Uh, <laughs> I, either, I either do it in the morning or the evening or both. I sometimes put myself to sleep with my sonnets. I don't know if that's a positive thing, but it, it's, uh, it's, I absolutely believe in it. And also, I enjoy them. Well, F. Murray Abraham, it's, it's been fun. Thank you so much for, for spending this time with us. Thanks a lot. F. Murray Abraham earned a Golden Globe nomination for his performance in the hit HBO series The White Lotus, and he won the Best Actor Oscar for his role in the film Amadeus. He recently appeared in the Apple TV Plus series Mythic Quest and the Disney Plus series Moon Knight. On tomorrow's show, we remember the deadly assault on the Branch Davidian religious sect near Waco, Texas, 30 years ago this spring. Writer Jeff Gwynn draws on new interviews with federal agents and surviving Branch Davidians in his account of the confrontation, which took the lives of 86 people, including 23 children. Gwynn's new book is Waco. I hope you can join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our senior producer today is Roberta Shorrock. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, Susan Yakundi, and Joel Wolfram. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Teresa Madden directed today's show. For Terry Gross, I'm Dave Davies. Mm-hmm.